Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Word Books with Friends. This time we're discussing Chapter 9 from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Midnight Duel. Ooh. I'm Paul, and as you just heard that ooh, I'm joined by a wonderful co-host. Hi, it's me, Chris, again. We're always here. Just us two. Uh, this chapter starts off with a, a mail call. We were just talking about how much fun getting actual good good mail is. You know? <laughs> Neville Longbottom getting a remember-all. From what I can tell is only a plot device for this chapter and will quickly be forgotten. Yep, it's a uh, setup just as like another magical wizardy doodad that's just one of those like, oh, well, this is the thing that we have that, you know, normal people don't. Doesn't seem to do much else besides act as something to push the plot forward. And even the premise of what it does itself doesn't make much sense. Yeah, it'll tell you you forgot something, but it doesn't help you remember what you actually forgot. Mm -hmm. Like, it just turns red. Now, if it actually showed you, because, you know, it's magic. Maybe it showed you a little hint. (laughs) Oh, there's a quill and piece of paper. Oh, I forgot to do my homework. Or, oh, I forgot, you know. Or shows you a time. Oh, what, right, I forgot I had a dentist appointment. You know, that would make sense to me. So there's actually some discussion over what Neville's forgot. Because after he receives it, he actually does show that he's forgotten something. Because even in the book, as soon as he holds it, his remember all turns red. It happens in the movies, too. It's never really addressed here in the book. But in the movies, it happens uh, later on. Uh, but he's actually not wearing his robes over the rest of his Hogwarts uniform. So it's supposed that that's possibly what he forgot. Uh, Cause everyone else in the scene is wearing their, you know, their Hogwarts cardigans, their ties, and then they have their black robes on over it. Neville's not wearing that robe. He forgot his robe. See, that's, that would be cute in the movie. I was thinking it was his grandmother throwing him shade that he forgot to write her a letter again. Like, maybe he's supposed to write a weekly update, like a little note home, and he hasn't been doing it for the past week, and she's throws some shade. Like, hey, Neville, come on, get on top of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but we get, this is our first kind of glimpse as they've already, you know, gotten around school a little bit more. Uh, you know, those clicks are starting to form. We actually see the... Gryffindors, and you know a little bit more with the Slytherins too, but they actually get to see them kind of becoming more friendly with each other. It's not just people that they're going to school with now. Like we finally start to see them actually like click up, especially during flying class, which is the reason why they were all kind of nervous and excited at breakfast before mail call. And we get to see uh, at least one classmate really step it up. Yeah, you know, we got during class. You got the. Uh, Pavardi Patel, mm-hmm. just really sticking up for everybody. And she's one of those characters that they do have in the movies. Um, her and her uh, twin sister. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on their names. I have it written down somewhere. It also starts with a P. I don't know it off the top of my head, and I didn't write it down, so I'm going to be of no help. I actually wrote it down back during our... Oh, the sorting. The sorting ceremony, because in the books, one of them's actually placed into Ravenclaw, while the other one's placed into Gryffindor. But because in the movies, they don't devote all the different time to the rest of the 
of the houses until later on. And they kind of have to because some of those characters become a little bit more necessary for the plot. Uh, everyone's just kind of put right into Gryffindor or Slytherin because, you know, those other houses don't matter. Pretty much. As a Slytherin, I can attest. That's pretty true. But we got Hurst, you know, right away uh, after Neville falls off his broom in the flight in uh, his first, you know, first couple minutes up to bat. Neville uh, starts floating away too quickly, sprains his wrist, drops his remember all. And, uh, you know, Roddy sticks up for him saying, hey, that's you know, Neville's give it back. And then later on in the chapter, uh, when McGonagall comes out to bust Harry for flying around his broom like some sort of hot dog. Brevardi stands up again and says, hey, Professor, uh, it wasn't his fault, you know? Gotta give it to that girl. She's being a true Gryffindor, you know? Loyal. Yeah, like, she's she's sticking up for everybody, and that's the big thing about this chapter, I think, kind of more than some of the other ones. Um, there are other students that are going to this school. It's not just Ron, Harry, and Hermione. Like, there's other people that do kind of matter to the story. Yeah, we got the another Gryffindor, Dean Thomas, who's uh, also Muggle-born, or like Hermione is, and he doesn't know what Quidditch is. He's a big fan of soccer. He's he's a big West Ham fan. Which I think is kind of fun because he's trying to describe soccer to Ron, who's then like, there's no flying? Like, that's, uh-huh. It does not make sense to him. Well, I can understand, you know, being a little confused by but no flying. I can understand really a lot. You can't even use your hands. What? Wait, what? Uh, then you got uh, she, uh, Seamus Finnegan. Or, yeah, Seamus. Yeah, Finnegan, Seamus. Of course. Who's just kind of there in these chapters? He's just kind of mentioned uh, since Sorting Cat. Also, that his that he's half and half, and that we get that during the Sorting Cat. Uh, we get. A quick mention of a Slytherin, another Slytherin, Pansy Parkinson, who's just there to rub it into everybody else's faces, too. Just to, you know, kind of goad people on. Also, Hermione is still here, too. But it seems to be like she's still ever the achiever, because even at points, like, she's talking about stuff. And even though this is everyone's first flying class, even, you know wizard-born kids like Neville have still never been on a broom, so Neville's been kind of like hanging on every single one of her words. Yeah, she's trying to study up from the book uh, The Quidditch Through the Ages, and she's like still nervous about it, though, because, and and rightly, she should be, you know? Flying is dangerous. Yeah. I I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, it'd be fun, but it'd probably take me a little bit to get up to that point. I have a pretty high center of gravity because I'm mostly a half giant as it is. So I hate being the person that has to go up on top of ladders or climb on top of houses to take down Christmas decorations. It's, it's a little bit unnerving. Uh, I sometimes have to work from a height just with my job on lifts and stuff. And I have a hard time wanting to actually move forward or backwards on the lift with being on, you know, while the boom is all the way extended just because the jostling I do not like the feeling that I might fall out of the bucket at any time. So uh, I'll do it. I just don't love it at all. Well, you, you don't want to have a Neville moment no. <laughs> where where you're accidentally going up high and then you wind up falling. Uh, and then there's some you know, 
schoolyard drama that uh, spins out of it. Draco just grabbing up the remembrance and just causing trouble. He's been bragging, as you know he uh, he would about how he's been on a broom ever since he was you know a real little kid, and he's the best flyer. He can't wait. He thinks it's stupid that first years can't have brooms, and he'd wait until his father hears about it, he'll get him himself a broom. <laughs> And he, you know, just starts flying away with the uh, remember all, and Harry isn't going to put up for that. That's when Harry, you know, takes off on his broom, and we get a little mid-air drama. I don't even know what to call it, but uh, Professor McGonagall happens to oversee all of this, and man, she really lets Harry have it. <laughs> yeah. You know, Harry pulls off a 50-foot dive, catches his remember all, not a scratch. And uh, McGonagall happens to catch it from the window, and she just silently, like, brings him away. And, man, the whole time Harry's like, oh, well, the Dursleys, I've blasted, what, a couple weeks here at school and got kicked out already? You know, I can't, I can't, I can't face the Dursleys again. They're going to be laughing at me so hard at, about this whole thing. But, it, you know, McGonagall, she's just... Got the got laser focus. She's going to get to uh, Professor Flitwick's class because she knows Oliver Wood is there. No, and like that's the thing, because in my notes I have written down, McGonagall knows Harry has no clue what's going on right now. She makes no attempt to kind of put his mind at ease. She literally, like, and I didn't write this part down, but she literally barges into another professor's classroom interrupts it and takes another student out with Oliver Wood to basically say, hey, uh, Harry's going to be on the Quidditch team. You, you find yourself a seeker. And she doesn't do it out in the hallway either, like in the movie. She brings him to another classroom. So there's even more time in suspense. She's like, does she need a witness? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Which leads me to the next part of my notes. Is she that blinded? by the game of Quidditch that like, as soon as this happens, it puts a stop and not just her day, not just Harry's day, but professor Flitwick's and then Oliver Woods. Oh, I do not doubt it whatsoever. That's the one reason I'm like, I know she's not being very caring and naturedly right now, but she's got a mission to make the Gryffindor team better and nothing's going to stop her right now. <laughs> and yeah. I've- now, do you think some of the, some of that, doesn't just come from the fact that she's the head of Hogwarts House, but also she played Quidditch when she was going there. Ooh, I did not realize she played Quidditch. That's a good factoid. Uh, yes, she did. It's mentioned in supplementary, uh, supplementary material over on Pottermore, but then actually in the movies, when Harry is looking at the, the Quidditch Cup in the Hogwarts trophy case, on one of the other trophies, you can see McGonagall's name on it. Yeah, no, I think she has a love of the game that cannot, uh, you know, a thirst for the game that cannot be quelched, uh, except for many a victories from the uh, Gryffindor team. Because she even mentions, like, she could, last, after the last loss to Slytherin last year, she couldn't look at Snape for a whole, three weeks or four weeks. So, no, I think she has a lot of uh, Gryffindor pride tied up in, uh, in the Quidditch team. Is that how you read it? Is that how you read it too, Chris? Or are you thinking something else is going on? I guess I think she has just those, like, she wants to see the house do good. And we've also found out 
through later on uh, discussions with Oliver Wood and the rest of the uh, Gryffindor Quidditch team that they haven't won in a while. It, Slytherin's been basically taking the cup and just keeping it as their own. So I think it's some of that just like house drama too, and she's ready to put an end to it. Yeah, it's like uh, the Yankees and Red Sox kind of rivalry, you know? Where Yeah, because that's a, a real-world sports thing that people would, I can agree with you on. Yeah, people would get it. It's basically I don't I'm, I know nothing about baseball. It's basically any team in the NFL with the Patriots, though. Yeah, yeah, the Patriots have been cleaning house. People want to put it into it, and everybody kind of expects they're cheating. You know, kind of like Slytherin. Uh, God, it so makes sense. You, we get mentioned that Charlie Weasley, you know, was the last was the last time the team was any good, and he was a seeker. So. Then he goes off and starts flying around with dragons, which all kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, that'll come back, too, once we get to uh, Goblet of Fire, too, because we get a little bit more of Charlie at that point. Um, We get some more Fred and George, too. Uh, We get more of them actually saying, like, hey, we're going to go investigate some some new secret passages that we found out about in the school. Uh, Lee Jordan told them about that. Again, Lee Jordan, another Gryffindor. Uh, And... they mentioned, oh, well, I guess it's behind that. It better not be that one that's behind the statue of Gregory the Smarmy. Uh, and I did my due diligence. I did my Pottermore Google Foo and found that Gregory the Smarmy uh, is a real wizard in the wizarding world. Uh, he actually has a chocolate frog and uh, earned it by uh, creating a potion that makes the drinker think that whoever gave them the potion is actually their best friend. And then I wrote in parentheses next to this, a.k.a. Wizarding Long Island Iced Tea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You're my best friend. (laughs) What's in this potion? Checks out. Checks out. But again, like, complete side world-building stuff. Unless you look for that, it's not something that you're going to pick up in actually any of the Harry Potter books or the movies. Like, it's a Pottermore thing that you actually have to do the legwork on to get. But you know who isn't uh, Harry's best friend right now? Oh, it's never Malfoy. Never Malfoy. And he's, no, he's pretty upset that he got shown up uh, at the flying class, and he's surprised to see Harry there, and he's going to, of course, start some trouble with with his buddies, Crab and Goyle, again, now that they're safely on the ground. And he offers uh, Harry a chance to stick up for himself at a wizarding duel. Which, yeah, and this is where we get the title for this chapter four. And in our pre-show discussion stuff, or, you know, post-last recording uh, session, I had no idea what the name of this chapter came from. And it's mostly because almost everything in this chapter is cut out from the movies. Like, we don't get the scene. And I think this is a great way at showing the, you know, the team, like, our our golden trio come together a little bit more because we don't know what's going on. Harry doesn't know what's going on. He just knows that this bully at school is challenging him to a duel. Wands only no contact. And then we get Ron kind of jumping in and be like, no, he knows what's going on. I'm his second. Let's do this. Ron knows what's going on. And he ends up uh, later on giving Harry some great advice because Harry's a little nervous. He's like, I don't know that many spells yet. I, what am I going to do if I wave my wand and nothing happens? And Ron, ever the pragmatic one, 
says, ah, just throw your wand at him and punch him in the nose. You know? <laughs> just boom, straight up dirty fighting, Ron Weasley. Love it. Well, and then we get we get Hermione overhearing all this. And the way the scenes kind of worked into the movies is the kids just kind of get lost as they're going to classes, uh, which ultimately leads them to discovering where Fluffy is. Uh, but in this, it's, like I said before, it's a much bigger scene that kind of has some team building because this involves everyone getting up and sneaking out after hours. And also Neville's there too, because he forgot the password to get into the Gryffindor common room and is just hanging out on the floor. Yeah, because pig snout is not a very good password. I mean, honestly, none of them are really good passwords. Oh, come on, Cabot Draconis is at least cool sounding. Pit true, true, true. No, what is it always going to be some sort of animal and body part? Like, is that their their uh, way of creating passwords there? Um, we'll we'll see you later on. Yeah, we'll we'll have to, we'll we'll have have to, to put a tracker on this. We'll to, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on them because the Gryffindor common room is the one that we go to the most until we go to the Ravenclaw once. I don't even remember. Well, no, well, we go to we'll Slytherin too. Next book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways. But also, uh, I think what's this kind of funny is they sneak out of the room. They get properly dressed for a duel, you know, just in the bathrobes. Just like <laughs> that. You want to keep, you want to be loose. You want to be ready for a good fight. Well, you know, I mean, you want to be comfy while you're dueling too, you know? So. You know, and I have to say for uh, Hermione, now, do you think she's just being a Budinsky or do you really think she's looking out for Ron and Harry's and also the rest of Gryffindor's best interest? So at this point, I feel like, yes, she is a Budinsky. And I think it's because she still doesn't have that circle of friends. Yes, we know that your time at Hogwarts, your house is like your family, but She's such an outlier during all this. I even wrote in my notes, good team building, Ron and Harry being bros. Neville is there. Uh, Hermione is the wet blanket. And then later on, Hermione is pretty insufferable. Yeah. So at this point, like she's there, like, but she's such like a peripheral character to the rest of the people that are in her house. Like the rest of the people that are supposed to be her family She's never really along for the ride on anything. She just kind of pops her head and is like, oh, well, no, it should be, it should be this way. So I think she's just kind of palling around at that point because she doesn't belong anywhere else, but just has that want to. I almost feel like at this point, she's just wants to be right. And when she knows she's right about something, she's not going to let it go. She needs to give that answer you know her hand is up in the air she needs to give that answer so when she hears something that somebody's going to be doing something that's wrong well she's obviously got to tell them how you know not to do something wrong do the right thing you know i mean if that's possible too i'd say the next chapter kind of proves that wrong but at the same time this kind of starts her on that path where she does start to feel that belonging a little bit more. And she does stick up for Ron and Hermione or sorry, Ron and Harry. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think the next year we get a change in the next chapter and we'll talk about it when we get there. But uh, right now these guys are off on a secret mission. 
rough on a secret mission. I just binged the entire series again because, you know, stuck inside for the quarantine, nothing else I can do. Watching all of Galavant is a great way to spend, like, two evenings. I highly recommend it. I liked the first season, didn't really care for the second. Well, the second... They literally sing a song at the beginning of the second season, like, "Eh, we never expected this this was going to happen, so... eh, Here it is. Um, But we get some team building. We get some more uh, Argus Filch and Miss Norris. Uh, also something we don't really see too much in the movies. We get some, some Hogwarts ghost stuff. Yeah. We got the peeves just being peeves. Uh, you know, for Hermione being so smart, she never caught on that. This was an obvious setup. They're in the trophy case room. And then, you know, uh, Mrs. Norris and Mr. Filch come in there and are looking for people that he knows hiding and that's when they run the truth well the quad the uh the foursome mm-hmm. you know because neville's there and i always forget neville's there because everyone always forgets neville's there <laughs> uh run into peeves in the charms classroom and uh they ask him not to play, not to uh sell him out not to sell him out and of course peeves got to be peeves and he's gotta make a big racket but then when it comes time with uh, Mr. Filch, and is it, uh, yeah, it's just Mr. Filch there. Snape isn't around, right? Is no, right? He, uh, Snape's later on after they find out about Fluffy. Right. Mr. Filch is there, and he's like, hey, you got to tell me where, which way they went. He's like, say please, and I, if you don't say please, I'm not going to say nothing. Of course, he says, you know, Filch says please, and then he says nothing. And then he goes and disappears like a jerk. He's- yeah, he's a jerk. He's a jerk of a ghost. And it's kind of those interactions that make me wish we had gotten more of the ghosts than we did because maybe they're a big part of that Hogwarts life. You know, everyone, every house has their own ghosts. Like they're a constant presence in all of the books. I mean, they, and it's because they do play a role later on down the road. Yeah. We get them actually going into a room and this is where they come face to face to face to face to face to face to face. With uh, Fluffy, the big dog that's guarding the trapdoor that's going to lead them to where the Sorcerer's Stone is hidden later on at the end of the book. Neville, completely shaken by it. Hermione, upset that they broke any kind of rules. Ron, just glad that they got it up there with their lives. And Harry's feeling about the same way. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have to say that Ron does make a very good point. Like, that dog is so big. If there was any dog that needs its exercise, it's that one. Why would you keep it locked up in the school? school? And Chris, I'm very glad you mentioned about how wizards deal with their bathroom needs back in the day. Because obviously there's some sort of charm or spell going on to keep that room cleaned up. (laughs) You know what? If I could magic away uh, my litter box, yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, it's only like 20 seconds of my day cleaning it out, but man, cats are disgusting. I imagine a gigantic three-headed dog is probably horrible to have to clean up after. So, yeah. All it takes is a little bit of magic, I guess. A little bit of magic. A lot of dog treats. I don't know. I had no good way to close out this episode. So, uh... 
if you want to follow us through the front <laughs> door that we'll be getting through soon er, or later, <laughs> uh, keep on listening. We'll be back with our next chapter uh, on <laughs> next time. <laughs>